the Lloyd's List Shipping Podcast. Welcome to the Lloyd's List Podcast. We're coming to you live from Singapore this week, where Lloyd's List has just hosted its Asia Trade Outlook Forum. I'm delighted to say I am joined round the microphone this week with the full complement of the Asia editorial team. Hui Hui Tan, Vincent Wee, Indipreet Walia, and Sishin Chen. Welcome to the podcast, guys. Thanks for having us. So it was an interesting discussion. We covered uh, a lot of ground this morning. Panelists talking about everything from the the overall outlook in energy and commodities on my panel. And Sishin, you were pulling together the panel around containerization and ports. The overriding thing for me across all the panels was the fact that Actually, some of the major risk that shipping is facing has absolutely nothing to do with shipping. We're talking about big exogenous impacts of uh, macro economy shifts, uh, of Donald Trump's um, prolific tweeting uh, uh, hitting markets on a, on a near minute-to-minute basis. We're talking about the big disruptive headwinds of digitalization, carbon pricing, regulatory and financially enforced transparency. You know, these are all coming in at a time where the shipping industry is having to make big bet decisions over its future. Uh, is all very well looking immediately to 2020 and saying we have some disruption coming but actually we're only looking at the lifespan of a single investment before the entire industry needs to start putting fuel that doesn't technically exist in its tanks Um, you know we have an epoch shift ahead of us and the overriding thing for me I guess you know was risk management and that was really interesting for me because you can't affect uh, Donald Trump. You can't plan for sanctions. You can't plan for um, dams bursting in Brazil. But all of our panelists were saying what you can plan for is better risk management. And that requires better data. It requires better transparency uh, throughout the supply chain. And I think there is a you know, sense of optimism, I guess, amongst these uh, these big shifting tectonics within the industry. Well, what do you guys think? What was, your, what was your takeaway moments from this morning's discussions? I think it has been said that uh, BHP has said uh, as a cargo owner that data can enable connectivity. With connectivity, that means connecting with members of its supply chain. Mm. Um, There will be efficiencies that you can detect and then you can pass on in the supply chain. Mm. So that's a leverage that um, I think coming from a cargo owner perspective, um, they they can gather with uh, better data management but there is also the element of uh, data offering more objectivity in terms of perceiving also some trends in the dry bulk sector you have Punit uh, from Clefness uh, noting that um, basically the some of those uh, issues that you have seen like Indonesia the recent ban um, uh, you, you can draw lessons from Malaysia's bauxite ban as well and with data then you captured on other trends and um, potentially you you get um, people get, can better recollect in a more objective manner what has happened yeah. and draw on the lessons and apply them uh, on when, when similar issues occur mm. yeah he was arguing yeah. that you know it, in the days gone by, it was a question of you know going to the oldest guy in the room and saying, "Well, how did you handle this last time?" Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem with that, of course, is that most of the fa- most of the problems we're facing are, are entirely new. These are not problems we've faced before. But it's also a question of the objectivity of that uh, uh, you know way to deal with things. Shipping collectively has an extremely short memory. Uh, see almost every cyclical cycle since the Phoenicians first set sail uh, as evidence. But 
the point that we're making now is that we've got objective data. We've got uh, you know an unemotional assessment of what happens when certain things happen. That is a fundamental change in terms of how the industry is operating, I think. I, I think that he mentioned a really good point there, saying that data is just an enabler. We need able people to actually handle that data and use it for our day-to-day -day operations. And that's where, uh, you know, data is, is one part, but human element comes in, and which is really very important for decision making. Mm. Let's just have a quick listen to what Punit Ozra from uh, Cloudnest Asia had to say about that at the panel this morning. We have seen that for uh, quite a while, that um, when it comes to the risks that are out there, there are two aspects to it that you can look at. You can try and look at technology and machine learning and whatever else you need to do in order to try and go back in time. Because if you look at the olden times or, or earlier days when I started my career in shipping, I actually had to go and talk to a senior person in my company and basically ask him saying, last time when this crisis happened or this kind of crisis happened, what was the market reaction? What actually happened? So that was the only source of information that I had to generate um, my own uh, simulation so as to speak to understand what can be done to hedge the risks. Today, technology allows us to have data captured and stored and analyzed effectively. But at the end of the day, the decision-making is still sitting with people. And how knowledgeable they are with regard to taking those decisions, how can we make sure that these decisions can be done in a kind of a more um, uh, holistic way rather than to try and do it in a very subjective manner? So obviously, we, uh, we have been looking at that in, in Clavness as well. And, and, uh, and also in our own, my own role has shifted from commercial uh, over the years. Uh, for the last six months, I've been actually uh, moving to a totally different role, uh, looking at basically trying to analyze the internal systems and processes and build competence uh, using technology, um, which I think is a very crucial factor because I believe there is no mandatory qualification to come into commercial shipping, and that's the reality of it. People come with different levels of background, different levels of experience. You need to try and build a, a foundation. Earlier, it was done with mentoring or seniors talking to the juniors and probably drilling them on the heads. I see a few of my former bosses here. They exactly did the same thing with me. Uh, unfortunately, I had that uh, opportunity. But today, I think technology needs to be used a lot more to make sure that people actually have the foundation which they can build on. So that's a big, big part of the discussion. Hopefully it becomes a more industry-wide discussion rather than just company-wide discussion. One of the other major trends that uh, was picked up ac across both panels, but the, um, the particular bit that interested me was on the container side, uh, the panel you were uh, chairing, Sichen. And then we were talking about the, um, the acceleration of decision-making in, in some respects, the, you know, the speed at which you have to change, you have to be more nimble as a company in order to uh, adapt to these oncoming uh, stress tests and, and black swans that are challenging uh, the industry left, right and centre right now. The shifting supply chain being a, a really sort of visible part of that, and we talked a little bit about nearshoring, reshoring, and the willingness of, of Asia to deal with their neighbours a little bit more um, frequently than perhaps you know they once did, and then add on that trade war and, and various other um, factors. But I do get the impression things are shifting a little bit more swiftly. Vincent? Yeah, certainly. I mean, um, from the SIVA logistics point of view, where they are, have been actually intimately involved in these shifts, you're hearing uh, actually um, circumstances where they can shift an entire production line in seven days. I mean, these are just the nuts and bolts of the thing, right? But I think what's also coming across very clearly in the conversations that you're having with 
not only the people involved in the total supply chain, but all the other bits and bobs of the supply chain, like the ocean carriers, the freight mm-hmm. forwarders that help that process to take place, is that there's a need for greater market intelligence, right? And this market intelligence uh, could be, as, as we've said before uh, from, from experience, but increasingly they're looking to get market intelligence from data sources uh, external to them or uh, even within the company that they are investing in. Mm. And they're using this to combine with the experience that's within the company uh, to make faster decisions Especially the container carriers are having to feel that are feeling that they they have to uh, make quicker uh, route adjustments, quicker changes uh, than ever before. And I think that's the thing: is the the speed at which the industry is having to respond to things is the thing that's fundamentally changing, and the agility of companies to to shift to, you know is 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 really now a key part of their risk mitigation. Um, somewhat easier uh, if you are a container line and uh, as Richard Hiller from um, uh, Ocean Network Express pointed out, their assets are movable. You know, if they're not working on one trade, they move them to another. Now, obviously, there's an issue with size and draft and, and, and how flexible that tonnage is, uh, but certainly more flexible and more adaptable than um, our, our, our speaker from Hutchison. You know, ports don't tend to be easily movable as assets and uh, you are very much uh, dealing with uh, the fixed trade. So, I mean, it is an interesting set of dynamics that are facing the industry and the risk mitigation response is never going to be the same across all asset classes. Um, One of the other things that uh, really came out for me was the fact that, yes, we're talking about risks and yes, we're talking about the acceleration of these risks um, and uh, taken at a, a top level, I guess that could look a little bit scary. But actually, as ever in shipping, we tend to make uh, you know, opportunities wherever we can find them. Uh, and uh, we're talking uh, you know, less than a week after VLCC rates spiked at $300,000 a day only to then collapse 72 hours later. Um, you know, volatility is an inherent part of our, our, our market, but within that, obviously, there are opportunities. Um, particularly on the bulk side, I mean, in Dupree, I, I was interested to, to hear about some of the things you've been writing about over the last uh, few years, but uh, nickel ore ban looming in Indonesia, bauxite uh, as, a, as a growing trade. You know, I, th- I think there were some really interesting insights in terms of growth opportunities and markets there. Yeah, actually, um, the comment made by Puni here that minor bulk is not any more minor is a very big statement because from the last two years, if you look into the tri-bulk market, it's not the major bulk which is driving the growth in the segment, it's the minor bulk which is. And um, every day there are new and new additions to the minor bulk market. Like, like for example, if there's a demand for battery in China, so there's, there's a huge uh, number of shipments for lithium going on uh, into the country. Mm. And uh, similarly, there's, there's demand for, um, you know, like more plant-based uh, products, more plant agri products, so which is going on into other uh, Asian countries, and the, the, mostly because there are more mouth to feed in these countries, and now the standard of living has been growing. So there's there's huge demand in these countries for minor bulk, which is changing the whole trade dynamics. Mm. Um, from the sanctions, one thing, I mean, from the take was one thing which has come in is 
the entire trade has become more short haul rather than the long haul. But then uh, because the number of shipments across inter-regions has increased, it has not actually had a bigger impact on the tripod market. Rather, it's, it's, it's been a very positive thing, as Rolf said. And uh, Ralph Lazinski from Banchara Costa. Yeah. yeah. And, and specifically, like, uh, because China used iron ore from their stocks, they need to restock uh, their, um, uh, they need to restock before they go on uh, holidays for uh, in Jan. So, uh, basically, all these uh, infrastructural growth which is coming up from because they are not getting their manufactured goods from uh, uh, US is driving the uh, is driving the whole of tribe out market right now. Mm. So in a way, it's really positive for for the tribe out market. Let's just listen to a few of the comments from from Ralph because I think he had a very interesting take on some of the market trends there. With data, you you can try to manage volatility. You can try to be prepared for volatility, but you cannot really have, volatility will be there. The, the beauty or the problem of of, of shipping that the most international business out there. It's affected by everything, by politics, by weather patterns. I mean, the biggest event for dry bulk this year has, has been the dam collapse in Brazil. There was no way of predicting that. And yet, it completely changed the face of the dry bulk market this year. We started the year, we were all very optimistic that 2019 will be a good year for dry bulk. Already last year was positive. We're all very optimistic that this year will be positive year for dry bulk. Just one totally random, totally random event sent rates, keeps its rate to $3,000 per day. There's no way you can predict that. Just like you can predict sanctions, just like you can predict swine flu now. One of the biggest events now affecting soybeans, ironically, soybean trade. Ironically, it's not even the trade war. Not even the trade war, because we, we, we have what some people are calling the pig apocalypse in China now, where up to half of all pigs have been slaughtered because of, a, of, a, of an infection, of a, of a sickness. And, and, and pig farming is by far the main source of grain, grain and soybean demand in China or, or in the world. Yeah. So, so how, how do you plan for that? I was not anticipating at the beginning of the year to be writing about pigs, I will grant you. Uh, it's not a traditional subject for Lloyd's List, and yet it is one we have written about quite extensively. I think I more about pigs than I did before, put it that way. Um, but in t I mean, you know, th those exogenous events, they, you know, they are now, uh, I mean, with, with every tweet that comes out of the White House, uh, you know, the, the only predictability we have is that you know, it is an unpredictable ride we have. And I'm just, um, I'm wondering, you know, from your perspective, I mean, is it, is it no longer about the actual markets? Is, this, is, is shipping now fundamentally at the whim of uh, these exogenous events that are coming in? I mean, is there much we can do about it? It, it, has, it has always been. I mean, I mean uh, back 30, 40 years ago, when they closed the Swiss Canal, mm. and, and, and then everybody rushed to order VLCCs because they, they thought it would last for years and you would have to send oil from, from Saudi to Europe all the way around Africa. And then unexpectedly, it was reopened again, and you had new building VLCCs being sent for scrap straight from the shipyard. We actually had VLCCs trading grain because they couldn't find any oil cargoes. 
So you always had that. So, so, so it's shipping. You, you have to be prepared that you will always have volatility, you always have unexpected events. But, 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 but generally, I mean, uh, it's on the dry bulk side. Switzerland doesn't look that bad. I mean, uh, everybody's talking about the slowdown in China. Uh, things, things are supposed to be going bad in China. It's still growing at 6% a year. Mm. A and that is absolutely not, 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 not bad by any standards. And that's 6% on top of what is already the second largest economy in the world. And ironically, uh, all the trade... Uh, issues they have with the Americans, which is affecting manufacturing, which is affecting the manufacturing exports, which is negative for containers, but for dry bulk is ironically a positive thing because uh, facing uh, problems with the manufacturing industry, which, we create, which creates job losses there, uh, the natural reaction of the, of the Chinese government is to try to compensate that by investing more in things they can control, like infrastructure investment. So we are seeing actually more investment in infrastructure in railways, roads, subways, airports. So if you look at things on an industrial level, like steel production, like, like power generation, things are going pretty well. We have steel production up by 8% year on year now. And the demand is there because steel prices are actually keep keeping up. And they would have imported more iron ore if they could. They couldn't because it was not, 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 not on the market because of those exogenous factors. So they had to rely on running down their iron ore stocks at ports, which were down by, I think, like 30 million tons in the first six months of this year. They will have to recoup that. Mm. So actually, we are very positive on iron ore trade going forward for the next six months. I just want to add that, uh, you know, in terms of this risk management, I mean, one solution uh, uh, being chosen by at least the container shipping players uh, is actually a consolidation because you know that offers you the flexibility to actually uh, you know to mitigate those uh, th those risks. Uh, let's say like OME. I mean they are uh, the a creator of you know the legacy assets of three Japanese shipping lines mm. um, and uh, CMA CGM you know uh, they just uh, brought SIVA um, you know of course uh, there are a you know certain levels of disruptions uh, we're going to experience during the uh, consolidation process as you have probably witnessed in the you know in once you know uh, yeah Sorry, um, I mean, what, what happened uh, in one in the initial stage of their integration, or what is probably right now going on uh, in the uh, integration of SIVA and the CMA group? Mm. Um, we're going to see a, a lot of disruptions, but uh, eventually, I think uh, players has a lot of players have opted that way uh, to uh, you know address the uh, increasing uncertainties. Uh, that we are facing right now. Mm. Um, uh, and talking about uncertainties, I think one of the questions uh, raised by the panelists were very interesting. Uh, for, uh, one case in point is that uh, you know whether this uh, you know supply chain shifts is a long-term trend or it's just simply a short-term disruption and caused by the trade war. I mean, uh, uh, Stephen uh, Edwards from Hutchinson Port uh, offered some uh, very interesting observations 
basically, we thought that uh, you know uh, uh, cargoes are moving from China to Southeast Asia. But he was saying that actually, currently, except for Binan, other Southeast uh, other Southeast Asian countries are actually suffering a decline of uh, growth and trade volumes. Mm. So uh, you know, which means that uh, there are a lot of uh, you know. Uh, uh, Uncertainties uh, about whether this uh, you know ship of supply chain will go on or not. Mm. What was very interesting was actually although the all the panelists were aligned in terms of uncertainty being sort of the common factor, I guess, in terms of what they were doing, they each represented companies that are doing very different responses to that. And 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 you you pointed out Siva and um, One being on the same panel. Um, you know, they are representative of two very different strategies. Siva, of course, being part of CMA, CGM's shift into uh, what is essentially a, a logistics play, um, you know, integrate themselves within the global supply chain and, you know, really making that bid along the lines of uh, what we've seen from Maersk in, uh, in, in recent years. And that's really, you know, their play in that respect. One... Not so much. I, I, Richard used the phrase, you know, we're going to stick to our knitting. You know, and, and that is certainly um, echoing comments I've heard and you've reported on Citroen in terms of the strategies from other shipping companies, HAPAG, uh, you know, really wanting to double down and just focus on being shipping companies, not to try and reinvent themselves as, you know, uh, the real movers of the integrated supply chain. So it's interesting to see that sort of that difference of response there in terms of the uncertainty and how they're going to deal with it. I wonder which of them will be the more successful in terms of dealing with it. Uh, interesting, but let's bear in mind that uh, you know one has uh, just uh, uh, passed through its um, you know initial stage of integration, mm. uh, and its parent uh, uh, NYK actually has a very strong logistics business. That uh, is true. That is true. Uh, so when they actually you know as the time passed by, you know it, it still remains a question whether they will. At least for ONE, whether they will actually follow the suit of uh, you know other carriers who actually are expanding their logistics presence. Mm. But I think all in all, the consolidation is a um, is quite a parent trend because if you look at uh, ONE, it, it is now in uh, big alliances with the uh, participants uh, of uh, HMM. Mm. And Richard has mentioned that uh, because of this uh, you know bigger alliance, they managed to actually deploy their Fleet, uh, you know, easier uh, than before to adjust to this shifting uh, trend of uh, trade flows. Interesting stuff. Well, we we covered a huge amount of topics uh, uh, over the entire conference. Um, fuller details will, of course, be available on noiselist.com. Uh, I hope that has given you a taste of the uh, the Outlook Forum. Um, that's it from from Asia. Um, we do have another Outlook Forum coming up later in the year, tenth of December in London. Uh, it's part of the Lloyd's List Excellence in Shipping uh, Awards on the 10th of December in London. Uh, registration is available via lloydslist.com. I would urge you all to sign up now. Registration is free, but space is limited, so uh, get in there quick. Uh, but for this week from the Lloyd's List podcast and the Asia team, thank you very much for listening, and uh, we'll be back to you next week. Thank you, thank Richard. Thank you.